1 to 10. Assuming I get there shortly. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. If it's too cold in here, we'll just feel free to get up and close the door. We got heat issues, that's why the doors are open. Then it gets too cold, then it's going to get too hot. It's going to be fun. Anyhow, bear, bear with us. So would you pray with me as we ask God to uh, open our hear, ears and our hearts to hear his voice. Lord, remind us today who we once were before we became Christians, before we trusted in Jesus. Remind us today that we were once spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses, following the course of the world, following Satan and following the passions of the flesh. Thank you for your great love that while we were spiritually dead and unable to get out of that place of spiritual death, you chose to intervene. You chose to send Jesus to save and rescue us from ourselves, from Satan and from death. And we're so grateful. Empower me to speak your words today, Lord Jesus, through Christ we pray. Amen. Today's message serves as the third installment in our new series on the book of Ephesians. It is called A Manifesto for the church, that's the theme of the book, and this book is very helpful, very clarifying to, to, to show us what are God's intentions and designs and purposes for his church. You know, this idea of meeting together as a church is actually the, the idea of God, and we get to be a part of it. And when you see God's grand plan for the universal church and then local churches within the universal church throughout church history, it's actually quite breathtaking. Uh, looking at our passage today, the, the title for our sermon is Dead But God. Dead But God. This is our theme for uh, today. In researching this topic, I found one scientific article. So those of you who are scientifically minded, you will maybe appreciate this article. There, I want to share with you five Lazarus animals. Five Lazarus animals. You might recall Lazarus as being the man that Jesus raised from the dead, and it actually happened, and that is why they're referring to these animals as being like Lazarus. They kind of rose from the dead. 
and scientists thought these animals were extinct, dead and gone, sort of erased from planet Earth, dead, but, but no, no, sure enough, nature comes along and we discover they're not dead. Many years later, sometimes decades, sometimes a hundred years, they actually find the animal that they once thought was extinct. It's pretty amazing, actually. And if you read that article, you will find these five Lazarus creatures. A similar thing happens also to people battling drug addiction. You may know somebody that has been battling this, and it's a big issue here in Surrey, Langley, and the West Coast. Um, maybe you've seen before and after pictures of people that have been hooked on drugs, and now they're not. And meth addiction in particular causes all kinds of problems in our lives uh, if you're a meth addict. Maybe you, you've been a meth addict. I don't, I don't, let's not rule that out. And I want to speak to this very compassionately and sensitively. But meth addiction, here's what it does to your body. It causes sores to appear on your face. Uh, meth rots your teeth. Meth causes extreme weight loss. Meth takes years and decades off of your lifespan, in, in some cases, if it's more serious. Meth basically, meth use makes you look a lot older than you actually are. And unless there's intervention, meth addiction will result in a very early death. However, thanks be to God, there are some exceptions. Through rehab and often through Bible-based recovery programs, former meth addicts, they, they break free, very often through the power of Christ. Okay, And if you look at the before and after pictures of of people that have been hooked on meth and now they've been been restored and rescued from meth addiction, the first picture shows the person in really bad shape, okay? You know, this close to death, really. But the second picture is a picture of, of health and vitality and, and life and, and of beauty and, and of restoration. It, it's a beautiful thing. I love stories of recovery. In other words, you could say that the meth addict, on the one hand, they, they were essentially dead, but now... They're alive. And it's this idea of death, but now alive. Dead life, dead but God that we're looking at today. Spiritually speaking, the harsh reality and the truth is that before we meet Jesus, we are kind of like spiritual meth addicts in a sense. Our outward appearance looks, looks actually maybe just fine, but internally, we are in really bad shape. We're in horrible shape, actually. Within, inside of us, we are kind of like death warmed over, going nowhere fast. Dead but God. Dead but God. Thankfully, not unlike how a loved one intervenes to reach out to their, perhaps their meth-addicted loved one and family member, so God reaches out to us to save us from ourselves, to save Kurt from himself, to save us from a hopeless future, a hopeless eternity, and we see this rescuing action through the extended love of Christ for us. And this is breathtaking when God does this. This is the big idea that we're looking at today. Dead but God. So let's get into it. What we see the Apostle talk about, the Apostle Paul talk about in the first 10 verses of chapter 2 uh, is how God lavishes his grace on his people. He lavishes his grace on his people. Maybe you know that grandparent, or maybe you are this grandparent. You, uh, as a grandparent, you love your grandkids, and your job and your mission is to lavish all kinds of love and, and, and goodness 
on your grandkids. You're buying them gifts too often. You're basically spoiling them rotten with toys, with cash, with clothes, and with ice cream, okay? Ice cream always goes over well, typically, with grandchildren, unless there's a dairy uh, allergy. Don't do that. But anyhow, there's options, okay? But you, you you can't help yourself if you're a grandparent very often. Why can't you help yourself? It's because you love these little kids. You love them. You love them dearly. You're in a stage of life now where you've got the time to, to, to invest in, in just lavishing love on the grandchildren. And you love it. And it's the same kind of amazing generous love and extreme generosity and, and intervention also that we see in God. He's lavishing all this grace and all this kindness and all this love on his, his kids. Us. It's amazing. I want to drill down and examine... Uh, verses 1 and 2, and would you do this with me? Let's look at verses 1 through 3, actually. And what does Paul say, if you have this in front of you or, or somewhere near where you can see it, what does Paul say to us in these first three verses? He reminds us of what you were before you met Jesus, who I was before I met Jesus, who we were before we trusted uh, in Jesus. And he says that before Jesus, B.C., we were dead. We were dead in trespasses. We were dead in sins. What are trespasses? Trespasses are violations of God's commands, breaking the Ten Commandments, if you will, breaking the great commandments of of loving God and loving people with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've trespassed against God, violations of God's commands. What are sins? We're also dead in sins, not just trespasses. Sins are a little different but similar. They are offenses against God through word, motive, uh, thought, and deed. Word, motive, thought, and deed, sins and offenses against God. And and Paul says here, it's our trespasses, it's our sins that make us spiritually dead. Paul goes on to explain why we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Why are we dead in our trespasses and sins? It is because he says we're following three things. We are following um, the world. Secondly, we're following Satan. And then thirdly, we are following the passions of the flesh. The world, Satan, and the passions of the flesh. We're going to break these down uh, under number one a little later. And number one in your notes is simply, apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead, headed for wrath. Because we are following, and we'll look at these three things in more detail in a little bit. Over the last decade or so, you may have noticed that it seems like our culture has a certain fixation with zombies. You may enjoy a zombie TV show. You may enjoy the zombie movies that have been made about them. And, and zombies, by the way, are not real. Just Let's just clarify that. They're not real. Okay. Is that a wow moment? I don't know. I hope not. They're not real. They're fictional. They're not real. Okay. But what are zombies in the fictional world? They are simply the living dead. They are the living dead. They are dead, but they're alive. It's weird. It's gross, and it's, and it's disgusting. Really gross. Fictional. But similarly, though, bear with me, until we meet Jesus, until we make Christ the king of our lives, we're kind of like the living dead, according to Paul. We're kind of like spiritual zombies. And just like fictional zombies, you know, they, they can't seem, again, this is fictional, but zombies can't seem to reverse the process of, of being the living dead. They can't reverse the death process at all. So also are we before Jesus. We are not able to save or rescue ourselves from the process of spiritual death in us. 
we're unable to erase or eradicate or, or pay for our, our sins and our transgressions committed against God. We just can't. We may try, but that ain't happening. We can't pay for our own sins. We can't save ourselves from those sins and, and the wrath that results of those, because of those sins. We can't save ourselves from our hopeless future. Now, this biblical truth, you can feel kind of how offensive this is, really gets people's backs up, actually by design. Very often, the first reaction to turning towards Christ is anger. I've noticed. It's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm dead. But people get their backs up, and they get really offended. When the Bible says here, like it does in our passage, that they're spiritually dead, that they're spiritually toast. Why are they offended? Well, it's because they say, do I, I mean, do I look dead to you? I mean, do I look dead, really? Uh, what about all the good I do for other people, for my family, for the world, I give to the United Way, etc.? Look how much, actually, you know, Kurt, look how much better I live than that guy over there. You know, I give more money, I'm more moral, I'm a better husband, better, better dad, better wife, whatever, whatever, whatever we are. And, and, you know, Kurt, I mean, just lay off. Bible, lay off. God's just fine with, with the way I am. It's all good. It's all good. If there is a God, he's fine with me. And yes, this teaching is extremely offensive to most people to declare that you are dead inside because of your sins. Gets people's backs up. But the fact is, you, until you face this truth and you believe it, until you admit that I'm a sinner before God and guaranteed I'm headed for God's wrath, unless something changes, unless I respond to a certain person, we'll talk about that later, we have to accept this truth. And it's harsh, it's hard, it's rough, but it's true. And we have to accept that before grace comes in, before beauty comes in, before restoration and salvation occurs in us. All right, as I talked about before, Paul shows us that B.C., before we trust in Jesus, we are dead in our sins, headed for wrath, because we are following three things. Remember, remember what these three things are that we're following? B.C. We are following, first in your notes, little a, the world. We're following the world. Something I've been aware of very recently, um, I'm, a, I'm a dad, I'm a parent of children, and this is the truth that I've been aware of. If I don't teach my kids about what's most important, about what's right and wrong, if I don't do that, who will? Now, there's no guarantees about the outcomes for our kids, right? But if I don't teach them about what's most important, certainly about the ways of God, about the ways of Christ, about the gospel, if I don't do that, who's going to do that? Well, you know who's going to do that is it's the world. The culture in which we live is going to do that. Social media is going to do that. The world will teach our kids what the world thinks really matters. The world will teach our kids their views on sexuality and gender. The world will teach our kids their views on all sorts of things that are in conflict with what God wants, diametrically opposed to the things of God. That's just what the world does and what the world believes. In other words, you know, Mercy Hill Church, we at least like to think of ourselves as being all about discipleship, which is you know, a disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? A student, an intern, a follower of Jesus. And we are desiring to become students and interns and followers of Jesus. Our, our mission statement as a church is to make disciple, making disciples of Jesus for God's glory, for his credit and worship 
alone. So there's a reproducible, reproducible aspect to helping more and more people become Christians. And when it comes to the world, here's what this means. Either you will disciple your kids as a parent, or the world will disciple your kids. And it's happening. There's, I think about my own kids in the school system. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. And, and we're constantly having to debrief our kids in public education. But let me broaden this a little bit more. Either you will make disciples of Jesus, or the world will make its own disciples. Okay? So my point is, we're all being discipled. We're all being trained by somebody or something right now in this moment, this coming week, or this last week. Everyone everywhere is currently being trained in some way, and we've got to decide. Who will I invite? Who will I allow uh, to disciple and train me? Jesus or the world? Who's going to disciple me? Jesus or the world? Paul's warning is, if it's the world, in the end, it will lead to death. It will lead to wrath. You don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that. Do you hear this warning from God? A second thing that we are following if we are dead in our sins and trespasses is little b in your notes. We are following Satan. That's the second thing that we're following. Paul talks about how we once followed the prince of the power of the air, how we followed the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And that is code speak. Prince of the power of the air is code speak for Satan. Paul is indirectly saying that Satan is, that he's the father, the daddy of disobedience. He's the expert in rebelling against God. He's the expert in sin. He's the one who first rebelled against God way back. Not many non-Christians in this world today would agree with this idea that they're following Satan. You know, when they put their hands up, anybody in this room today, let's go to your workplace tomorrow. Raise your hand if you think you're following Satan. How many people do you think would raise their hands? Probably nobody, unless you've got a few goofs in the room. But ironically, yes, they're probably following Satan. But, you know, not many people would believe this, that Satan is their spiritual dad, their spiritual father, that they're following the ways of Satan. Not many people outside of Christianity would agree with that truth. But the thing that they're not understanding or perceiving is this, that the Bible teaches very clearly that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. This is what he does. He is very good at making himself and making his ways look very good, very pleasant, very positive. Isn't that the ultimate deception, by the way? Fooling people into thinking that they're good without God. Satan, that's what he does. He fools people into thinking that they are good enough without God, without Christ in their life. He is so good at convincing people that the way they're living their life right now is just fine, that it's a-okay, that it's actually really good. Everything's fine. They don't need Jesus. They don't need the church. All is well. It's a brilliant tactic, if you think about it. To pull people away from the only one who can save them, who can change them, who can rescue them from a hopeless eternity. Make them think they don't need Jesus. Make them think that they are doing much better than they actually are, that they're not as sinful as, as God thinks they are. Make them. Satan's not stupid. He's a smart individual, very crafty, very skilled, very deceptive, an expert at deceiving people. So don't be deceived. Let us not be deceived. If you are in sin, if you are not yet a Christian, the fact remains Satan is your spiritual dad. He's your spiritual father. That's what we must face. Very difficult 
to believe that and accept that, but you must. We all must. Thirdly, in your notes, is that if we're following, sorry, the third thing that we're following if we're spiritually dead in sin is little senior notes. We are following the passions of our flesh. The passions of our flesh. Some of you know that we have a dog in our household now. That's only a fairly recent reality, last couple of years. And this dog's name is Coco. And I don't even know what the breed is. I don't, I'm not really a dog person. But this, this dog, this beast, is five pounds of fur. It's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, there's not much to her, but there's a lot of fur. And she acts like she's a hundred-pound pit bull or Great Dane. Like, so self-deceived. So self-deceived. <laughs> but anyhow, Coco, there, there are some positive qualities. The good part about having a small dog is it doesn't eat a whole lot, so that's a plus. I like, like I said, I'm cheap. Uh, but there's something I've noticed about Coco. She is driven by instinct. I mean, when you see a dog, you, that's, you see what you get. I mean, it's all there. They're not hiding anything. Although they may try sometimes, but they're really bad at it. But they are who they are. They are ruled by instinct, okay? These animal desires, this instinct for food, okay? I need food. This instinct to, to bark at other dogs and other passersby on our street. This instinct to, to crave love and, and attention from, from the owners. I mean, Coco cannot help to be ruled by these inward cravings, these inward animal passions. Can't help it. And a similar thing happens to us if, if we're, we're dead in sin. The inward passions of the flesh rule us. These inward instincts that we possess, they drive us and they, they carry us and we, we follow them. Those desires are there. We, we go where that desire wants us to go. Can't help ourselves. And these flesh desires, again, this is before Christ. These flesh desires, let me list a few. We got lust. We got sinful anger. We got pride. We got selfishness. We got self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is simply thinking more highly of ourselves than we should, that we're better than we think we are, and that we don't need forgiveness, that we don't need God, we don't need Christ. That's self-righteousness. Something I was challenged by a few years ago was, was this, and I think if a few of you were learning this with me at the time, but this is the thing that you need to think about. That Are you surprised when you do something really bad? When you sin bad, or just sin, are you surprised when you sin? Even as a Christian, Christian or non-Christian, are you surprised? Can't believe I yelled at my spouse. Can't believe I yelled at my kid. Can't believe I overindulged and I ate too much. Can't believe I drank too much. Can't, oh, I can't believe that. Can't believe I lied. You ever say that to yourself? I can't believe I did that. And this is something... I always told myself as a Christian, and I still struggle with currently. I can't believe I did that. can't believe it. But then I was challenged. And the challenge was, Kurt, of course you did that. Of course you did. Even as a Christian, still battle with those passions of the flesh within. Kurt, it was not right. You should not have done that. It was wrong. Yes, you need to take responsibility for your sin and your wrong action. Yes, repent of that sin. Receive his grace. Take responsibility. But why are you surprised when you sin? Kurt, you have within you these remaining passions of the flesh that are there. And these passions of the flesh give you the desire and the drive to sin. So, Kurt, don't think too highly of yourself. Like, don't think that you can be perfect in and of your own strength apart from Christ. You can't. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Let that not be a license to sin, by the way. 
But don't be surprised. The fact is, before we're changed, especially before we're saved by Jesus, we are in an unregenerate state. We have this natural propensity and, and drive to, to oppose God and oppose God's ways. In fact, Paul says, by nature, by nature we are children of, of wrath. By nature. So these are the things that we're following that lead us to become spiritually dead, become the living dead. The world, the Satan, and flesh. The world, Satan, and flesh drive us down. And before you throw in the towel and give up on everything, if you're caught in some of this, I don't know where you're at spiritually, uh, you know, what's the point? All these forces are working against me. I can't save myself. What's the point? Well, there's actually hope. Hold the phone. There's hope. Verses 4 through 6, actually 4 through 10, are amazingly hope-giving. And I love how Paul begins verse 4 with two words. But God. But God. Things are bad, but God. Meaning, things were so bad for us, we were in such a, a, a hopeless estate. We were spiritually dead, going nowhere fast. And then Paul says, but God. And God steps in to help us and to rescue us. And God steps in to show us how much he loves us and how much we mean to him. He steps in to give us a way out of our hopeless situation. How does God do this? Well, it says, Paul says, he's motivated by two big things. Rich mercy and great love. These are the things that drive God to work a miracle of resurrection in us. God makes us alive together with Christ. Okay, he raises us up spiritually like he raised up Christ from the dead, and then he saves us in so doing by his grace. What is grace? Grace is simply God's unmerited favor, God's undeserved favor and love for you. You didn't do anything to deserve that favor and grace and love. And he pours that out on you through Christ. And then God seats you in the heavenly places with Jesus and gives you responsibility in heaven along with Christ under his leadership. So why does God step in and rescue you, me, us? Why does he do this in such a dramatic fashion? He does this to show off his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness and love. What's immeasurable mean? Meaning you can't measure this stuff. You can't measure his mercy. You can't measure his grace. You can't measure its, his love. It's limitless. But he wanted to show you that limitless, immeasurable love and grace and kindness. That's how much you mean to him. That's how much we mean to him. And he did so to showcase himself, show off how good and amazing of a God he is. And that leads us to point number two in your notes. Simply, but God, there it is. But God, in his mercy and love, makes us alive, and then he seats us with Christ to show us his immeasurable riches. One of my favorite things to witness and to see and to read about and hear about are rescue operations. I love rescue operations. Uh, recently, the Canadian government took it upon themselves to actually do something about the Canadians who were trapped in Wuhan province. Is that a province and also a city? Am I getting that right? A city? Okay, either or. But it's obviously a place that is the epicenter for the coronavirus, which everyone's freaked out about right now. And, and, and I think they should be at least aware of it here. Uh, it's a big deal, certainly in China. And uh, it's very, very unfortunate. So we must be praying for, uh, for China and for the world and those who are infected. But hundreds of Canadians are trapped there. 
And thankfully, the Canadian government sends a couple of planes to pick up these hundreds of Canadians. Did you know that amongst the hundreds of Canadians, I think it's 170 some, but amongst that number uh, are 34 children. 34 Canadian children are trapped or were trapped in Wuhan. Now, you might, be think, you might think, no big deal. Okay, yeah, Canadian government, not, but not a big deal, really. I mean, they just had to send a couple of planes. Uh, no big deal. Now, if you believe that, you would be wrong to think it's no big deal because you've got to consider there's pilots, you know, driving these planes, putting themselves at risk of getting infected. And you've got flight stewards of some sort who had to put themselves at risk of getting infected. Then you've got army personnel in Trenton, Ontario. Uh, they're assisting with this flight. They're putting themselves at risk of infection, right? So dozens and dozens of Canadians, they're putting their lives on the line. Now, why are they doing this? Well, they're saying probably, well, who else? Who else but me? Who else will rescue and help our fellow Canadian family? Who else is going to step up to get these 34 kids out of Wuhan to a place of safety and health? If not me, then who? And, and so it is with God, but so much more. God is the ultimate rescuer. He saw us in a hopeless situation, like unable to get out of sin and Satan, uh, under Satan's rule and dominion, and these desires and passions of the flesh. Couldn't break out of that. He sees us going nowhere, no future. Yes, it would have been so much easier for God, I'm sure, to just say, you know what, I made them, and they went, they went sideways, they rejected me, just, ugh, just forget about them. It would have been so much easier. But, but God, no, but God intervenes, and he sends Jesus to come to earth as the God-man, and he came in the likeness of humans, became, putting on flesh. 2,000 years ago, he leaves heaven, the most perfect, beautiful place, to come to earth, to, to then live our perfect life for us in our place, because we can't do that. Then Jesus died our death on the cross for our sins in our place. He, after his death on the cross for our sins, he rises again to murder death for us. But God, but God, but God, are you getting a sense of the, the depth of his immeasurable riches of mercy and love and grace that he has for you? If you're not yet a Christian, this is your, your chance to, let's have a conversation. If you need to take that next step towards Christ, you need to repent of your sins, you need to place your trust and faith in the gospel that this stuff is true, that Jesus actually did this for you, and you need to be baptized to show that Christ is king of your life, let's have a, let's have a chat after the service or sometime this week or talk to a Christian friend, somebody that you know uh, knows the ways of Jesus can help you with that next step. Let's move on. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9 now. These are some of the most famous verses in the, in the entire Bible. And what Paul is trying to get through to us uh, about, in short, is this. Think of yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot save yourself. That's what he's trying to say to us. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that I can do to try to get back into God's good books, to score brownie points with God. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that you can do to cancel out your own sins. And this obviously goes very much against the, the Muslim idea of the spiritual scale. And with all due respect, that spiritual scale is, is baloney. Islam is all about if you do enough good deeds and your good deeds outweigh your sins, you're fine. You get to go with 
to be with Allah for eternity. But you know what? Biblically, it does not work that way. God's economy, there's no scale. There is no scale. No, we are so messed up, screwed up, so steeped in sins. Our sins committed against God are so serious and so grievous towards God that it took a God dying to eradicate those sins. And that was Jesus. That's how serious our sin was. That it took a God dying for our sins to finally and fully eradicate them. You get a sense of how hopeless we are without Christ. We are. And it took a God to intervene. We simply do not have it within our capacity to, to make things right with God by my own ingenuity or my own persuasion. No, no, no. You and I, if we're Christians, we are only saved if we trust and believe that Jesus, that he's done all the saving action for us in his life, death, and resurrection that is spoken about in the gospel. And that leads us to point number three in your notes. God alone, God alone, God alone, only God accomplishes salvation from his wrath for us by his grace when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. Faith being open, empty hands. We've got nothing to offer God but our faith and trust in him and our belief in Jesus. A couple of years ago, there was a video taken. You may have seen this video on social media. It's kind of a rough video, but you can catch the idea of what's happening in the video. And it's a video of a man who is catching a child from about two or three stories up. And there's a fire and the kid needs to jump. And he somehow persuades the child to jump into his arms. And I think the adrenaline has to hit. Otherwise, your back and whole body will collapse. But he manages to catch the child from certain death, and he saves the child's life. Amazing. Now, imagine this child just running with this, this true story. Now it's not going to be true as I run with it a little bit. But imagine this child, this, this toddler, I believe, stands up. You know, he get, gets put down by the guy that rescued him or her. And he's, he's standing up. He's walking around like a big man, like a peacock, like a pro wrestler, like just strutting around, okay, saying... Yeah, I did that. I did that. Did you guys see that amazing jump from three stories high? And now I'm good. I saved myself, rescued myself. My legs are, are just full of muscle. I'm awesome. I am superhuman. Wow, I'm amazing. Now, we can't imagine that actually happening. It's so ridiculous. But you see, Christian, if we're not careful, we are prone, even as Christians, by the way, we are prone to acting kind of like that proverbial strutting rescue child. Very subtly, the inward passions of the flesh that are still within us, they can tempt us to, to give ourselves far too much credit for being saved and, and for being transformed by Jesus. And how this works is we start to see the positive changes that Jesus is bringing about in us by his Holy Spirit. We are no longer addicted to things like food or drugs or alcohol. We're no longer drinking too much. Our marriage is starting to get better, you know? Our parenting is getting better. Our work ethic is getting much more improved and dedicated. We're making more money, you know? Sure enough, that sense of inward pride is starting to swell. The self-righteousness is kind of kicking in. You're just like, man, I'm better than that guy and that lady, whoever it is. And while we may not say it, it's very subtle how sin works. It's very subtle. You probably don't say these words, but you wrongly believe that I am pretty amazing. I am responsible for 
being saved and being changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ. It's all about me. And again, you may not say it, but you might believe it. And I'm just saying, don't be like that strutting child walking around like the big boss. You know, I rescued me. No, 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 you did not rescue you. Only God, only God, only God saves us by his grace through Christ. Let us not boast about how good we are or how great we're doing. You know, give God, God alone all the credit and all the honor and all the worship for all the good that he's done in your life, how he saved you and brought about positive transformation in you. I want to finish things off now by examining verse 10. And this might be um, more of the emotional. Like I'm not as emotional as I should be. I got, I'm, I got problems. Uh, but I'm hoping that I might convey some emotion because when I was preparing this, there was some emotion. It may or may not happen. I, I can't guarantee it. What does Paul say here in this uh, verse 10? He talks about how we are God's workmanship. Some Bible translations replace that workmanship word for masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Okay? We are like God's Mona Lisa. Isn't that cool? You are God's masterpiece. I, I am God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. And we are created as his masterpiece in Jesus for what? So he's made this us this masterpiece for what purpose? For good works, Paul says. For good works. Doing good things for others. For God and for others. You and I, we were made, designed, created to do good for God. And, and, and when did God plan this for us? When did God come up with this, this idea? Well, he came up with this idea of us being his, his workmanship, his, his masterpiece, created to do good works, uh, even before the mountains on the West Coast were formed, before the ocean was put there, before the sun was put in the sky, before Jesus was lived, died, and rose again, and before you even became a Christian. This was all part of God's design. All right? God is a planner. And this was his original plan for his people, for you and for I, that we would be his Mona Lisa to do good works for him and for other people. Isn't that amazing? To showcase his grace and his love and his power through our lives. I love this stuff. And let's now go to number four, and this is what this leads to. As God's workmanship, in Christ we were made to do good works, to show off his transforming grace through our lives, through our words, through our actions. I love verse 10 and point number four here. And it's amazing. You know, I, I talked a bit about this last Sunday. You may have been here. Uh, I struggle with uh, seeing myself the way that God sees me. I struggle to see myself the way that God truly does see me. Clearly, I've got issues of insecurity that are really hard to beat down and to overcome. I sometimes wrongly listen to Satan and, and accept his influence in my life mentally and not verbally, so I'm not hearing audibly the voice of Satan, but I'm, you know what I'm saying? But he tells me lies. He actually tells us all lies. Even as Christians, he, he's lying to us. And the lie that Satan tells me is that, Kurt, you're not, you're not worth much. You're not worth much. You know, and if you think that's not bad enough, God is quite displeased and disappointed in you. Really disappointed. You know, Kurt, I, I think maybe God doesn't love you 
quite as much as he says in the Bible here. So, sorry, buddy. And this train of thought is very destructive, very unhelpful, very discouraging. I mean, if you feel like you're on the outs with God, oh, it's a bad place to be. And that is so untrue if you're a Christian. This is why I need verse 10. Maybe you do too. In verse 10, I am reminded that, you know, Kurt, because of Jesus, not because of anything you've done, because of Jesus, Kurt, you're valued by God. So much so, Kurt, that before creation was made, God's plan for you, Kurt, was to become God's masterpiece of grace. God's plan for me, for you, by the way, for us, was to give us a mission of good works and to spend our lives with this mission of good works for God. Why? To showcase his goodness in our lives and showcase his love in our lives and how it's transformed us, to showcase his, his grace and his unmerited, unearned favor in our lives, to show that off to the world, to us and to the world and those in and around us. And so I hope you're encouraged by that. I want you to understand that you are God's Mona Lisa. He's got plans for you. He's got plans for you to do good for him and for other people, for your church family, for your immediate family, for those in your workplace. We are to be carriers of the gospel. We are to live out the implications of the gospel. We are to display the love of God to our world. That's why. So you are, you are far more loved than you probably know and understand right now. And let that change you. Let that change how you think about yourself. Let that change how you live. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you that you allowed us to have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. Thank you for not turning your back on us and leaving us to a hopeless eternity. Any any good thing we have in our life, this idea of hope, this idea of being saved by you, this idea of being changed by you, it's all you. You alone deserve all the credit and all the honor, honor and all the worship and all the glory for saving and rescuing and transforming us through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for agreeing to the Father's plan. Thank you, that Lord, that you planned all of this before you made anything. You're such a great and good God. Help us to grasp how good and great and loving and merciful you are to us. Lord, we celebrate this reality, this truth of who you are as we partake of the Lord's Supper today. Draw near to us. Holy Spirit, cause us to examine ourselves and to repent of any known sins and, and areas of addiction that we need to uh, just confess to you and, and ask you to, to intervene and, and change us from. Through Christ we pray. Amen.